Now, last night, Linda and I spent a little bit of time with Kat, and David, Smith, and Autumn, and Orion. I got a text earlier in the afternoon showing me a big bowl of candy that said, I hear you like Butterfinger. And I texted back, I said, you know I do. And he says, well, if you want to come by and have some, we'll be glad to share. And I heard the Lord speak and said, go. (laughs) And so we went over there last night and uh, just had some time to share with them. And we had not seen them in a while. They're actually in the nursery this morning. So if you want to swing by there and if you have a child to pick up, pick up your child. If you want to say hi, they would certainly love to love to say hi or, or hear from you. Um, one of the things I found out that was interesting, uh, that Dave is a drummer. Now, some of you may think that does not surprise me a bit. Um, but he's a drummer. He's uh, self-taught. Yeah, his drum set is not here. It's up in Pennsylvania. Uh, apparently, things like kids kind of take up space, and so he had to store them elsewhere. And so they're up in Pennsylvania right now, and a little interesting conversation about where they could store them in a house, and Cat wasn't too big on having drums right now, and Dave was really big on having them. I voted for Dave, but Linda voted for Cat, so it was a tie. So, But I'm always intrigued by these self-taught people, people who are self-taught computers or mechanics or guitar or piano or electrical work. Some people are just self-taught in terms of cooking. I've tried to do a, a few self-taught things and I think I've only done one thing in my life, and that was helped by YouTube. But when I think of the whole idea of self-taught, when it comes to our Quaker spirituality and our Quaker journey, it is a self-taught experience. If the experience or the Quaker experience of the spiritual journey can be summed up in one phrase, it would be this. Christ is here to teach his people himself. That's why we give space in our worship for us to listen. So we can experience that and maybe even encounter that in a way that's transformative, in a way that speaks to our condition. I love the language that we as friends have when it comes to that spiritual journey. Now, the reason I've been thinking about that is I was given a lot of thought this past week. I was doing some math this past Sunday. Uh, last Sunday, um, it just sort of went right by me, but I began my 14th year as pastoral minister here at Deep River Friends Meeting. And I did some quick figuring up, and I realized that over the span of the last 13 years, give or take a few Sundays off, you know, vacations and other stuff, I have prepared and delivered at least 625 sermons. I want you to take just a few moments and write down which one was your favorite. <laughs> see, I see when I wrote that down, I knew that's the response I would get. In fact, I just wrote in my notes, just kidding, like, you know, I had to put that down. Actually, the fact that Christ is here to teach his people himself brings me great relief. I'm greatly relieved because, friends, there's really no way in about 15 minutes I could speak to everyone's condition. 20 minutes at tops. I entrust this whole process to the living Christ, this inward teacher who knows your condition better than I do and probably knows your condition better than you do. 
I simply trust that whatever I say or anyone else says or vocal ministry in the form of a song might speak to your condition. That in the silence we offer that space for us to listen, for you to listen, for me to listen. Now, knowing all that, Psalm 86, verse 11, becomes a simple but wonderful prayer. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Now, it's more than a prayer, though. It's a posture. It's this way of positioning our souls so that we remain open to this wonderful guiding, instructing presence of the living Christ, our inward teacher, again, who knows us better than we often know ourselves and seeks to lead us and guide us in, in the way of right living. Now, we hear this word truth. And I don't think this is as much accepting a set of propositions or belief statements. Truth is about understanding through the wisdom and guidance of God how we can live well and how we can live whole. In other words, it becomes truth for us when it speaks directly to our condition and we hear God speaking and we know this to be right and we know it to be true. And we know that it, in many ways, invites us to be different and to change. So God is very interested in the details of our lives and how we can live in a way that's whole and life-giving. I think that's the part that even I forget. I may think that God is more interested in me trying to memorize a lot of theological statements or maybe get the whole the whole propositional stuff down, but in many ways, God is more interested is truth working its way in and through the dailiness of my life, in my vocation, in your vocation, in our marriages, in our significant relationships, wrestling with difficult emotions and our grief, struggling with worry, anxiety, and fear, searching for a deeper purpose and meaning in life, and navigating the transitions and wilderness experiences of life. That's where This truth stuff happens where we encounter God and God speaks to our condition in those very moments. So truth in this sense is seen through God's guidance and wisdom, how life is meant to be lived, how God intended life to be lived in such a way that our lives are whole, that our lives, and you've heard me say this before, it's a word that just sticks with me, our lives flourish and we bear fruit in our life. Sometimes the truth is hard to hear. I know for me it is. Sometimes it's not easy to take it in, but it's what I need to know. It's what I need to admit if I'm to move on in the spiritual journey, if I'm to move forward in the way that God invites me to move. And by the way, when I read that verse, teach me your way, O Lord, I discovered a lot of times it's different for me. A lot of times I want it to be my way, and I want God to somehow sanction it. Or I want God to, in some ways, approve it or justify it. This laying my soul open, really, and this prayer, teach me your way, Lord. Help me walk in that way. And it may be completely different than the way that I am walking in right now, but teach me. I'm listening. So why is this so necessary? I think it's necessary because there's a a word in this small prayer that Susie read that sort of stands out to me, and I find it a lot in life. 
It's this propensity and possibility of living divided lives. See, teach me your way so that we have an undivided heart. I, I have, well, let me back up and say it this way. I've always promised to be very as honest and vulnerable with you as I can. And sometimes that's the biggest act of courage anyone can do. In the last few days, it just seems like I have had this heaviness on my heart. And sometimes when I have this heaviness on my heart, you don't know this, but I'll tell you now, I pray for a lot of things like, I wish there was a lot of people, God, that will speak this Sunday and stand up and open worship because then I could be off the hook. And so I was sitting here thinking, oh, there's got to be more. Come on, people. You didn't, don't mean that Ruth didn't prime your pump? Let's go. And God said, no, no, that's not the way it's going to be. Maybe later. But there's been a heaviness on my heart. And this heaviness has to do with me taking a walk and journeying through what feels like a lot of dividedness lately with people and life and organizations, with couples, with individuals. And I'm becoming more and more convinced that this dividedness in our world is, in some ways, almost an epidemic. We have dividedness within our souls. We are divided politically. More often than not, denominations are divided. Churches can be divided, and yes, I hate to say it, yearly meetings can be divided as well. And sometimes we find we're simply divided with our longing to be our truest self, the person we know we are truly called to be. But I contend this, that the place to start isn't out there with the larger organizations and entities. The place to start is in here in the heart, and in the soul. Because if I bring my divided self into a relationship, if I bring my divided self into an organization, if I as a leader bring my divided self, then I am going to be, in some ways, doing damage to those around me, to those I lead, to those I serve. Parker Palmer is a Quaker and a writer. He talks about this divided life, and here's what he says it looks like. He says, in this divided life, sometimes we work at jobs that violate our basic values. Or we remain in relationships that kill off our spirits. Or we harbor secrets to achieve personal gain at the expense of other people. Or we hide our beliefs from those who disagree with us to avoid conflict, challenge, and change. Now, that might be one we could probably connect with. How often have you been somewhere where you really disagreed with something? And you felt that you really needed to say something, but you didn't. Because you're afraid of what? You didn't want to be criticized, or you didn't want people to disagree with you, or maybe you would be avoided by everybody. But then when you leave, how do you feel? You feel divided. You feel like you weren't living up to who your truest self is. So we conceal our true identities for fear of being criticized, shunned, or even attacked. And then he adds these words. The divided life may be endemic, but wholeness is always a choice. Once I have seen my dividedness, do I continue to live a contradiction, or do I try to bring my inner and outer worlds back into harmony? 
See, I think this is the work and grace of the Spirit in our life, helping us and strengthening us to overcome these contradictions in our lives, to bring our outer world and our inner world back into harmony. And the place the Spirit often speaks to us most is those places of dividedness in our life, those places where maybe we're often wounded, those places where we need healing, those places maybe where there are gaps in our life, where there's fear, and the Spirit speaks to us and invites us to bring those gaps closer and to move from living this divided life to an undivided life, to make wholeness possible in our life. So those around us and what we're involved in and our leadership and our serving and our involvement can be from a place of wholeness as well. You know, when I think about the Scripture, when I think about the Gospels, this may seem obvious, but to me, the most whole person, the most undivided person one can know is Jesus. To watch his life, to read about his life, to follow his journey through the Gospels is to soak ourselves in a person who lived a completely undivided life. And you may say, well, that's kind of obvious because he was a son of God, but he was also human. He also had his choices to make. And he made him in such a way that his own sense of call, his true identity, is what guided him and directed him and led him. Do you remember what his true identity was when it was revealed to him? At his baptism, when he is coming out of the water and the dove comes down on him, do you remember what God says to him? This is my son in whom I truly love, in whom I delight. One of the things I know, and yes, I hear that too. One of the things I know is this. If my identity and my sense of self is not grounded upon the deep love of God, I will go looking for it elsewhere, and I will be divided. This past week, I went to a uh, retreat in Tennessee. Last week, yes. A series of five retreats. This was the first one. And it's about this topic. So, yeah, this is sort of on my mind and on my heart. And it's a topic called Living the Undivided Life. And so we were sitting in the circle, about 15 of us, and the facilitator invited us to introduce ourselves. And we all came from probably three or four different states. I didn't know any of these folks. So she said, I have one thing you cannot do, though. She says, you cannot introduce yourself by your role in what you do. You should have seen the panic on people's faces. If I cannot identify myself by what I do, then you could see people asking, then who am I? We literally had to sit there and simply share, I'm Scott. I'm from High Point, North Carolina. I'm married. And that's not a bad thing. I have two children. I enjoy the Reds, and I'm forever suffering because of that. I was just grasping for stuff. But what I realized then was how much we identify ourselves with our roles. It is not enough most of the time for us just to identify ourselves as I'm Scott and I'm deeply loved by God. 
I am Scott. I breathe. I exist. That's what it means in many ways to live this undivided life. To know that one is so valued and loved, that's all that matters. This simple psalm, this simple prayer, I think it invites us to consider just a few things and we'll wind down and maybe have a few more moments for some listening. I think it invites us this first, the possibility that I may be living a divided life, even at the level of not faithfully being who God has created me to be in this world. Or we live a divided life out of fear of not being our true self. And I think that's something to explore. Are you who God has created you to be? Are you living faithfully to who God has created you to be? Or am I playing a role? Does it change dependent upon the people I'm with? Am I fearful of expressing who I truly am for fear of being shunned or criticized or ignored or rejected? Is it possible that I am living a divided life? I think the other thing the psalm invites us to consider the reality that God's intent for us is to live lives that are whole, lives that are flourishing, lives that feel a sense of, if you will, unity within our soul, lives of peace and contentment. Because when we find that we live this undivided life, that's when we discover peace. That's when we discover contentment, that kind of contentment in a good way. I don't have to strive to be someone I'm not. I just am. And this is who God has called me to be and you as well. And then, of course, the third thing that I opened up with, the certainty that Christ is here to teach his people himself. And I'm convinced of this. Go back to the sermons. And by the way, this makes number 651 if you're doing the math, okay? But that one moment, one moment of listening openly and faithful to Christ our inward teacher and responding in obedience can do more than listening to 650 sermons. As much as I would like to think that everyone is a home run or is out of the park, I'm convinced that you and I listening to Christ at a very deep level can do more than all the sermons we will ever hear in our lifetime. As helpful as they are, as meaningful and sometimes as much as they direct us to Christ, listening to our teacher inwardly knows us better than anyone else could know us, knows your condition better than anyone else knows your condition. So what does the psalmist say? Teach me your way, Lord that I may walk in your truth that speaks to my condition. Give me an undivided heart to revere your name. And I'll give thanks to you, my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. Let's just take a few more moments and listen. And listen to see if maybe there are some gaps in our life. Maybe there are places of dividedness. Maybe there is a place that the Spirit is putting its finger on our soul, kind of a tender place, an ouch place, that we need to listen deeper as to what the Spirit is speaking. And then we'll close.